As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to the Metrospective presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. I'm Ted Berg. I am joined, as always, by the Athletics Mets beat writer Tim Britton in Zoom conference. Again speaking after the Mets split a series, but save the best for last. Last time it was a four-game set with the very good San Diego Padres. This time a two-game set with the not-very-good Baltimore Orioles. But what a win they had uh, to close out that series. Billy McKinney and Kevin Pillar both homering twice. Easily the best game of the season for the 2018 Blue Jays. Pete Alonso now raging hot and issuing a raging hot conspiracy theory. But the big news, Tim, you have been outside of the New York City area. Yeah, so I was in Baltimore uh, for the games on Tuesday and Wednesday. That was uh, in large part because Major League Baseball had changed the access rules for reporters. So we could be uh, on the field during batting practice. Uh, and that's, that's during batting practice for both teams. So, you know, that the, the Mets pitchers are often doing their work uh, around the same time the Orioles start taking BP. Uh, so, you know, you could conceivably talk to uh, players as they came off the field, uh, be they pitchers or position players or, or chat with coaches. Uh, I, I, in fact, conducted a an in-person one-on-one interview uh, with a member of the New York Mets, a player, uh, for the first time since, I believe it was March 10th of 2020. The last one was Andres Jimenez, uh, who had yet, yet to play in the major leagues at that time uh, and was still a member of the Mets organization. So it had been a little while uh, and it was nice. You know, I, I think one of the things that that's that's really nice about it is just to like not even have a formal interview with someone, but like I chatted for like three or four minutes with Pete Alonso before he did, before his, his Zoom press conference on Wednesday. We did not discuss uh, whether Major League Baseball was manipulating the manipulating uh, the baseball itself based on uh, who was going to be a free agent coming up or not. Uh, but we did talk about like how nice it is to play in front of uh, people again uh, and how much he's enjoying that this year. 
That are you gonna are are was it a tease to say that you were able to conduct a one on one interview with the Mets player? You don't have to. I know who it is. You don't have to tell us who it is. Is that is that like that's a cliffhanger? We're gonna find out later. I mean, I, th- I think the story is probably going to come out by the time the podcast comes out. So it was with it was with Trevor May. It was it was uh, you know caught up with with Trevor to talk about uh, kind of what he's going through currently, uh, how it how it uh, works in kind of the pattern of his career, uh, and uh, how he's aiming to fix it uh, in the short and longer term. And how was Baltimore? Beautiful park. Was it a was it good to was it good? Did it feel like a little bit like the old way? At all? You know, it, it it did start to get that way. Like, just the idea of, of going to the stadium at like the normal time rather than later in the day, the way that I had been uh, for the last, you know, since since the start of last season, uh, mm-hmm. to get there at, you know, between three thirty and four, which is still a little later than usual, but closer to it. Uh, and uh, like the rhythm of your day is different when you're down on the field. Like, there's not as much dead time <laughs> between the zooms uh, and the actual game itself happening. Uh, so that's nice. Uh, the, I love Camden Yards. It's probably a, a top five uh, ballpark for me. Uh, it's not a, a great working environment because while the press box is really low, which is great, uh, it is also unair conditioned, uh, which in the city of Baltimore in the summer months uh, is less than ideal. Uh, these last couple of days, it was it was really warm and humid there, uh, and so it was. You know, I, I I think we talked about it at one point. I'm not a polo shirt guy, but I did go polo shirt each of the last uh, two days because of that. And, pl- and and the big news in Baltimore, really, I thought it was more. Yeah, was yeah. I thought you. I was like, I was like, what am I gonna have to do to get this out of him? Tell me, go. The <laughs> the open air press box in ba- in Baltimore uh, allowed us to 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 feel it full well while we were there. Um, bigger news than, than the Mets series, bigger news than, than anything that's happened in Baltimore since like 1776, uh, the cicadas are there, uh, and they are everywhere there. Uh, f- uh, Francis Scott Key would like a word for, with you, but, uh, but go on. But I can't hear him over the din of the cicada, of Brood X, uh, which, so I had, I had thought that I had understood what it, what happens when, when a brood of cicadas emerges, like, you know, growing up in New Jersey, we had cicadas, uh, and I, I thought that that I had experienced this before, but never to the extent that it was in Baltimore. And I like I can imagine it being worse. It's not like it was it was insane. I, I think it's probably worse in other parts of the country that maybe other Mets fans listening to this would scoff at the limited amount of, of cicada invasion in Baltimore. But there were just like hundreds of them on the sidewalks of the city uh, that in various stages of um, near deathness. Um, because, you know, like I had not known, I know the basic outline of the cicada lifestyle life cycle, but I didn't realize that like they wait 17 years underground, they pop up and then they like fly into a pane of glass and fall down and writhe there and can't flip themselves over in many instances. You know, there was one in the press box next to me, uh, during Wednesday's game who he'd actually like flown onto my shirt at some point. I had no idea he was there. He... I named him Clyde. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I threw him off, uh, but he was, you know, he landed on his wings, so he couldn't, he was just writhing, which is like, it's sad. I guess because, you know, in part because you can see, like, all of the body parts, including the eyes of a cicada. Like, I, I felt like I was anthropomorphizing them more than usual. Uh, so I, it- I flipped him over. He would get on his, his legs and he would walk around a bit, and then I would stop paying attention to him, and I would watch the baseball game. 
Uh, and then I'd look over five minutes later when the inning was over, uh, and he'd be back on his wings again somehow. <laughs> like, I don't know how, what obstacle pushed him back in this situation. Flip him over again, you know. Uh, eventually, uh, he flew off. Uh, so hopefully, uh, he has survived the additional 24 hours since then. I, I, don't, I don't feel good about it. But the entire life cycle, it, it reminded me of, like, like there's got to be a good baseball analogy to like a rebuilding team that like you know goes through it for 17 years and pops up and just just flails uh and fails right away <laughs> like it feels like the phillies aren't quite there but they're getting close uh the you know the orioles it would be like the orioles going through this for several more years and then just the rebuild failing completely um that's the sports analogy i have for it at the moment well speaking of kafka-esque David Peterson has really been struggling. I don't know that that was your best transition. No, I was. It was going to be better because you you got you got really dark there for a minute, and then you came out of it with the sports stuff. And so I had to. I wanted to go back to Kafka. I was going to try to cut you off, but it was like it was really beautiful. So you were speaking so grimly about the the short life cycle of of the cicada, and uh, it was uh, it was it was pretty bleak in there, you know. And and uh, again. Um, so as, as so have been David Peterson's last two starts. Yeah. You know, Peterson, he had been kind of characterized through to his first, you know, 19 starts in the major leagues or 19 games. I think it was, uh, of always bouncing back. Like, you know, this was a guy who, when he had a bad first inning, uh, in a start would come back and have a good second, third, fourth, kind of get himself through it when he had a bad start. He'd bounce back the next time, even if it was against the same team, like with the Phillies earlier this year, where he had his bad start, his first bad start against Arizona, came back and had his best start of the season against Tampa Bay. So you're used to seeing him rebound from those little hiccups that he's had. Uh, so for him to struggle again uh, this last time out against Baltimore after having the the one third of an inning start against the Diamondbacks uh, the week before uh, is is concerning, and it's just like. You know, you, you see moments in his starts where he looks good. Like there were, you know, he was throwing, I think he dialed it up to 96, uh, his fastball on Tuesday night. He threw some really good changeups. He threw some really good sliders. He just doesn't do them enough uh, and just inconsistent with his command of those pitches uh, where he's leaving them in the middle of the plate too often. Uh, and that's when he's had his struggles this year. Uh, and we've seen that through uh kind of most of his starts like he's had an inning here or there in most of them even the the good ones will have kind of the one inning where it doesn't come together for him uh but we're just we're seeing kind of more of the the bad is outweighing the good uh in the last few uh and you know they're going to keep him in the rotation uh at the moment uh because they don't really have a whole lot of other choices the other choices are going to be up in the major leagues anyway in another week or so when we start getting all the double headers for this team uh, in the, the latter part of June. Uh, so I there's really no point to like sending him down to miss one start to call back up because you're going to need David Peterson, Thomas Zapucky, maybe even a, a, a Jared Eikhoff or a, a Tyler McGill or a Franklin Killame, uh at some point in June to start games for you. So uh, I don't know what the solution is outside of him pitching better. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned the 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 unraveling inning um which has seemed to come quicker and quicker in the last few starts and um there was i should say like a, a one very good start in the middle of may in 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 tampa bay uh but otherwise uh a, a, 
a bunch of of pretty lousy ones in there and and i think what worries you is like the real clunker like the last two and uh and the one uh i'm looking at at the game logs against the braves in his second start in may where he doesn't even get out of the out of the second or the third inning uh just because of the way it taxes the bullpen and uh you know he tends to see you tend to see the pitch count get way up for him uh it's been frustrating because like you said you you sort of you see the makings of an effective pitcher uh, when when he pitches it's just he's had uh things just sort of fall apart around him is this uh is like because earlier in the season and and the top the top part of the Mets rotation has been so good uh, as Tyler Walker was in in uh Wednesday night's game uh pitching just extremely efficiently with a huge lead and and doing what he needed to do um so it's weird to think that that the the starting rotation is something they might want to address via trade, but if, um, if it doesn't seem like Carlos Carrasco is coming back anytime soon, our latest update is he's not not even throwing on the side. He's still strengthening up his, his hamstring. We know Noah Syndergaard is out until probably late August at least. Do they go out? Do they go out and try to add a starting pitcher here? I mean, it is wild that you would say that that's probably their biggest need at the moment. You know, we we talked not that long ago uh, about how they they kind of desperately needed an outfielder because otherwise it was going to be Cameron Mabin in center they field. They got McKinney for a while. though. They got Billy and, McKinney. He's a stud. And then Billy McKinney comes in and, and is posting a, a thousand OPS, uh, an OPS of a thousand or better uh, since he arrived. And Kevin Pillar came back, I think, a lot quicker uh, than we were thinking at that time. Uh, so you look at the starting rotation, and what's in, what's interesting to me uh, is that. Uh, it's not just a need in 2021 for them. Like you, you would have said, you know, coming into this season that it wasn't going to be a need in the rotation because you had, uh, you know, Degrom, Carrasco, Stroman, Walker, Syndergaard was going to come back in the middle of the season. Those were your five. Uh, beyond that, you had Peterson and Lucchese as guys who could, who had been major league starters and had had some success at the major league level. You, you felt good about those seven guys. Uh, and, you know, even when when they last played the Orioles in May and we we discussed briefly the idea of like, hey, can the Met, would the Mets ever trade for Matt Harvey? Uh, you know, it's too bad that like we said no then because Harvey was was pitching well, but they didn't have a need for him. Now they have a need for him. And uh, no, you don't want <laughs> Matt Harvey uh, in your rotation the way that he has pitched the last month plus. Uh, so, you know, it, but going the the changing changes to the injury status of Syndergaard and Carrasco, where you're now looking at uh, Syndergaard giving you maybe a month or so in September. May, you know, you're you're plotting out maybe six or seven starts for him max. Uh, Carrasco, uh, you're thinking maybe the second half of the season, but even that uh, looks dicey because there's just been the the progression has been so slow for him uh, over the last month since that that initial setback uh, and that he you know threw on the side a little bit last week and then isn't doing that this week is another uh, not good sign for them. Uh, and then you, you, so you project out the rest of this season, you know, you don't know how many starts you're getting out of Carrasco and Syndergaard. You don't know that either of them are really going to be like reliable postseason starters for you at this stage uh, where, you know, you want your kind of four set starters. Uh, so there is room in 2021 for a guy to fill in in your rotation and then when you plot it out moving forward, you know, if if P 
Peterson looks more like this guy than, than the guy he looked like last year. And the truth is probably in the middle. Like he outperformed his FIP last year. His BABIP was really low. His strand rate was really good. This year he's underperforming his FIP. His BABIP is really high. His strand rate is bad. Uh, like it, it seems like it's evened out to where he's like, you know, he's a 4-8 ERA kind of guy through his first 20 plus starts. Um, you know, if, if you're projecting that out, you lose Stroman and, you know, Syndergaard are both free agents coming in. Uh, and you're not sure exactly if Carrasco's health status uh, as a 30 start pitcher for you. Well, then there's there's a need for another guy in 2022 as well. Uh, and so it wouldn't surprise me if they're looking not just for a rental starting pitcher on this market, but a guy who maybe has some control next year as well. Uh, and that you can kind of start fixing, start your offseason uh, shopping already this season the way we've seen them do in the past a bit. You almost, it's not going to happen, but it's like they... I, you kind of want them to do it right now, too, because if, if, you, if you're going to make that move, what better time than when they're coming into this this run where they're just going to play a ton of games? Because it's tempting to say, OK, like, look, Lucchese is actually I think when they've used them in these shorter outings, when it's like, when it seems like it's like we're, we're going to go we're going to go for three or four or five max. With Lucchese, he's not like a sort of a conventional starter. He's been good. And, and speaking of, you know, and we talked about it on the show before, uh, he has, you know, been wildly worse than his peripherals. He's uh, probably been, been quite a bit unlucky. I think I like, like, I, I don't think I would hate, even in a playoff series, the notion of, like, your fourth game being a bullpen game with Lucchese going two or three and, and getting some of the bulk, um, just because the bullpen has been so good. But you obviously can't go to a bullpen game when you're about to play 33 games in 31 days or whatever it is. Yeah, and and some of their other bulk guys, you know, guys who have pitched well this year, Sean Reed Foley, Robert Gazelman. Gazelman uh, got, got hit pretty hard by Baltimore on Tuesday as well. Reed Foley, you know, before he got sent down, uh, he, I think he he didn't allow many runs in those last couple outings, but he he started to allow a lot more base runners, uh, and uh, hasn't pitched uh, as good as he did earlier in the season uh, of late. So yeah, that it would be like if in an ideal world you wouldn't be waiting until July 31st to acquire that, or sorry, July 30th is the deadline this year to acquire that starting pitcher. Uh, you would be doing it before. Uh, what is it? June nineteenth is the the first doubleheader that they have uh, with the with the Nationals. That's Saturday. You know, that's the start of three doubleheaders in seven days for them. Uh, and there are probably, you know, I'm trying to think of who would be out there right now on a team that's already kind of out of it. Uh, you know, whether that's who. I don't think there's anyone really on the Pirates that that attracts you. Uh, I don't think you're trading for John Means of Baltimore right now, uh, especially after his his injury. Um, you know, Kyle Gibson with the Rangers. Does that move the needle? Uh, is that, uh, is he's, that... I just, I just like, um, as soon as you said, like, who's out? I was like, click Texas Rangers. Um, and, and saw that Kyle Gibson has a 2.13 ERA this season. That feels like it's probably not going to last. Right. Uh, but you know, if, if it's, if it lasts for a little bit for you, uh, that, that's a good thing. I, you know, he's, he's a guy who's under control for next year as well. I don't know that that, that in his case, uh, that's the the level of pitcher you want uh, beyond 2021 uh, to acquire. So, the, I mean, the hard thing is the, the market hasn't really established itself. And the really good pitchers, even if they're on teams that are kind of out of it right now already, uh, those teams don't want to jump the gun and set the market. They kind of want to find out where it's going. And, and 
you know, oh, maybe we'll, we can extract the most when teams know a little bit more about where they are in July. You know, even if the Rangers wanted to trade Kyle Gibson tomorrow, uh, they could, you know, there are more, they'd, they'd get more for him perhaps if they waited until more teams were interested in him. Uh, you know, beyond that, it's John Gray with, with Colorado, but I think he just hit the, the IL. Uh, Arizona, you know, they'll give you Madison Bumgarner, uh, but I, I don't know that you want him yeah, uh, at this stage uh, of the proceedings. You know, maybe Detroit has. I'd have to look closer at uh, at the Tigers and and Spencer Turnbull and a guy uh, who Matt, I, I Matt advocate. Boyd has been good for them again. Like he, you know, he's a guy who was always like sort of an upside guy. Uh, I think probably could potentially come back to earth a little bit, but he's been good. And yeah, I mean, sort of- like, so. I think that's the level of pitcher we're talking about right now is a guy who uh, is probably your game four starter, which uh, given the way, you know, Walker, DeGrom and Stroman have pitched, you know, a lot of pitchers would be your game four starter behind those three. A lot of really good pitchers would be your game four starter, but kind of in a, in a general sense, a guy that like you're not super excited about him starting game four, but but he could he can fill in for you in that moment. Uh, I think that's the quality of pitcher you're probably looking at in the moment for them uh, if they were to make something try to happen as soon as possible. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's get back to this Pete Alonso thing. Um, not how well he's performing, which has been, he's been just on fire since coming back from the disabled list. Um, but the take you refer to, the conspiracy, it's a conspiracy theory. We can say it's decidedly a conspiracy theory, um, but presented by Pete Alonso as like, oh, this is definitely happening, um, which is he claims that uh, MLB juiced the baseball in 2019, anticipating a bunch of pitchers hitting free agency, and now uh, that a bunch of position players are set for free agency, now that is why the offense has come back to earth. Uh, it, what was what was baffling about it was like you almost expected him to to break at some point. It was like, is he, is he not kidding? But it seems like he's not kidding. Yeah, I mean that that he uh, believes that that's the reason the baseball is different. That they looked at the upcoming free agent class this year, which include you know was set to include Francisco Lindor alongside Corey Seager and Javi Baez and Trevor Story uh, and Marcus Semien and and other really good shorts. I feel like I'm forgetting one of the really good shortstops in there, but you know Chris Bryant as well and Anthony Rizzo and and all of these good hitters uh, in a market that is relatively down on on starting pitchers. 
But, you know, I, I think there might be two players on <laughs> Alonzo's team who, who would take issue with this being not a very good starting pitcher's market in Stroman and Syndergaard, both, both slated to hit free agency. Uh, and so he thought that baseball looked at the number of, of good hitters about to hit the market and thought that it would be better to dejuice the baseball uh, in order to suppress their numbers uh, and thus suppress their salaries. Uh, I do not think that is the case. Uh, I don't know how widespread that belief is among players. Uh, I haven't heard it from anyone anyone else. I haven't seen uh, in the day since, since Alonzo said that uh, other players nodding their heads or saying no uh, via social media or anything. Um, I should probably check that out more deeply in the, the, the coming days. Um, and, you know, I, I think, look, baseball did intentionally change the baseball ahead of the 2021 season. They said as much. Mm -hmm. uh, whether the initial change in the baseball, which I think you have to look, wasn't really before the 2019 season when the home runs exploded the most, but was really back in the middle of the 2015 season when home runs first started to climb, really at the all-star break of the 2015 season is when something changed uh, with the baseball. Uh, and it's it's unclear if that was intentional or not. Uh, I think, you know, like Meredith Wills, the woman on Twitter who has like dissected baseballs from different seasons, uh, I think suggested the other day in a, in a thread that uh, she did not think it was intentional, that, that first change in the baseball. Uh, and that, you know, like at the time, MLB said there was nothing different with the baseball. It was just, oper you know, it was operating within that same range of possible outcomes. It was just more baseballs were operating at the juicier end of the spectrum. Uh, and you had players with launch angle swings taking advantage of it. Like there are a lot of things that go into it. Uh, I do not think the relative quality of starting pitchers in the 2019 free agent class, which was that was the Garrett Cole, Steven Strasburg, Zach Wheeler year. It was really, I mean, it was Cole and Strasburg were the two big guys and, and Rendon was the big hitter. Those were the three big free agents that year. I'm trying to think if there was anyone else. Um, you know, a free, I don't know that any free agent class, like it's not like you can know, it's not It's not a cicada invasion where you know, oh, here's all. Here's the year all the pitchers come. Let's let's juice the baseball so their numbers are bad. So and then two years when the hitters come, we'll de-juice it for them. Uh, I think that's probably reading too much intentionality into uh, more of a bumbling process by Major League Baseball. Uh, yeah, and it does, doesn't fit with the with the patterns of free agency, which you know there's good hitters and pitchers every year that are out there. This is a league that thought it was a good idea to start extra innings with a runner on second base, and a league that there really is no better verb than butt fumbled. It has just simply butt fumbled this sticky substance thing that's that's now unfolding. Right, like this is uh, clearly an issue that's on the league. Everybody knew, everybody in baseball knew that guys were using things to uh, enhance the grip. B baseball more or less made it clear it was okay, right? You know, and, and, and so, and now you're going to start, uh, you're going to start like put throwing your own players under the bus, basically. Like they get these guys who should be marketed and and should be the the heroes and should ever everything else are now going to be again villainized again again for something the league never policed um and this time you know not even so like insidious as steroids but just like something that that most pitchers i think really did genuinely take up for better grip on the baseball not necessarily for uh you know enhancing spin rate and and the the 
whatever that distinction is between, you know, uh, cheating and and just, uh, you know, making the game a little bit safer, whatever it is. But uh, there's no doubt that Major League Baseball just, like you said, they just bumbled it. Like, this is not, there is no way, there's no way the league could pull off a, a conspiracy, like like intentionally altering the baseballs to to suppress free agent salaries. I wouldn't put it past them to try, but there's no way they could pull it off. Yeah, I mean the the this isn't like Peter Uberos collusion in the '80s where they're they're saying just you know in every owners meeting just make sure you don't outwardly say the word collusion and we're good. We won't sign anyone. Uh, I I don't you know I, I would be interested to see uh, you know I don't think Alonzo uh, just conjured this up out of the ether. No, sure that's it the thing. It that, sounded like yeah, it sounded like something that is discussed. But you know yeah. But I, I think that you know whether or not it's uh, it's actually true, and, and like like I said, I, I don't think it is. Um, it does show you the level of disconnect between or level of distrust between the players association mm-hmm. uh, and owners and and the league as a whole, and you know the commissioner that this is what they think you are capable of. This is the level of right. It's crossed uh, the lack over of trust from, there, yeah. uh, and that's you know doesn't portend well for. Uh, whatever negotiations they have for the collective bargaining agreement uh, over the next year. No, it does not, especially if it comes out that the league is really suppressing salaries by a doctor by a altering baseball. I mean, we, we then, know like, that we know they're suppressing salary because uh, well, know, yeah. Mark, Mark Carrig's story about how they've handled arbitration uh, in the last couple of years. You know, Mark wrote about that the, story. the championship belt about the championship a- belt in arbitration. Like that is that is salary suppression. That is right. What the oh, they're absolutely is. doing it. Uh, they're absolutely doing it. They're just I just don't think that they're doing it by changing the baseball. And I don't think they need to like that. That is right. that is an overly complicated yeah, way to do, achieve just something that do, they achieve more simply. Just do our old fashioned collusion like we've always done. You know, yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I, you know, I, I think that's the 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 main takeaway I would have from that this this whole uh, conspiracy theory is boy, the players really don't like <laughs> don't like uh, the league as a whole right now. Uh, give me some good news here, which is rare in, in this realm, but, uh, I believe there's some positivity on the injury report right now. Yeah. So Luis Guillorme, we're, we're recording this on Thursday. Uh, Luis Guillorme is scheduled to have a rehab, you know, another rehab game uh, on Thursday, uh, and then could be activated as soon as Friday uh, for the series opener against the Padres. Probably would not start that game because it's against a lefty in Blake Snell, but could be in the starting lineup as soon as Saturday. Uh, and everything Luis Rojas has, has talked about with this has suggested that Guillaume would essentially be the everyday second baseman uh, until Jeff McNeil is back. McNeil uh, could start a rehab assignment with Syracuse as soon as this weekend. Albert Almora Jr. started one. Uh, on Tuesday uh, and hit a home run, I believe, in his first at-bat of the rehab assignment. Uh, And then Michael Conforto, a player that we talked to in person on the field on Tuesday, uh, said that uh, this weekend he's going to be testing out his his hamstring. Like, he's been swinging on the field. He's been taking BP for weeks now uh, and is running but hasn't, like, fully tested it. Uh, So he's going to go through some tests at City Field to see whether he has the strength back in his hamstring, uh, whether he can run the bases, uh, and if he gets through those things uh, in the next week or so, he could go out on a rehab assignment uh, as well. Uh, he said that would not, you know, I asked, like, since you've been swinging, uh, could that rehab assignment be, you know, 
just a couple games. Can you kind of hit the ground running with that? Uh, and he said, I would really like that, but no, it would probably be more than just a couple of games uh, at Syracuse. So uh, that's all good news. The, the Carrasco stuff uh, was the bad injury news of the week. Who doesn't want more time in Syracuse? <laughs> well, it's, you know, I, I wonder if players would prefer Syracuse or St. Lucie this time of year because they see St. Lucie so much. Uh, and the, they, the heat there has to be annoying, but uh, I don't, I, you know, I don't. I've never been to, to Syracuse at all, let alone to the ballpark there. I don't know if it's like pleasant this time of year. If it's nicer, uh, I, I mean, I, you know, I have my biases. Uh, I would, <laughs> I would contend that it's never pleasant. Um, but, uh, but couldn't I mean? Wouldn't you just demand Brooklyn? Like, couldn't you? Can they not rehab and with the with the Cyclones? Well, well, the thing with that is they're really they're not rehabbing much outside of the AAA structure uh, okay. because uh, AAA is in the bubble, so you don't have to go through like intake testing and all that. Oh, um, interesting. So that's why uh, mo- just about I- I've actually been surprised that some guys. Wait, did explain do- this. So explain this to me. So wait, why? How is how are they bubbling AAA? Uh, I'm not sure exactly. I think anyone who goes up to AAA has to take a couple tests. Uh, before they can play, I'm not sure how that operates, um, but uh, it's basically, you know, when they say bubble, this isn't like the NBA playoff bubble. Right. Like the yeah. word bubble does not mean <laughs> what everyone thinks it does in a lot of contexts. Uh, it's it's just basically like uh, you can move freely from Syracuse to the major league roster without having to go through an intake testing protocol uh, and down to Syracuse. Uh, you know, if uh, Conforto or someone like that uh, was rehabbing it in Brooklyn. Uh, those guys are not subject to the same uh, testing uh, on a regular basis, I think, as the AAA team is. Uh, and so he would have, you know, he would finish his rehab assignment, and then there'd be a couple days before yeah. he'd be able to play for the big league team. Sort of defeats the purpose. I was gonna say, like, I, you know, if if it comes down to decide, like, I, I really don't like the nose swab thing, but I'll take that over an extra day in Syracuse, no doubt. <laughs> what was it? What was it? Manly, Manly Gymnasium is closed. Manly, Manly Arena Fieldhouse, is closed. Yeah. Manly Fieldhouse is closed. Yeah, yeah that's um, and, and too bad because the you know the the Carrier Dome is a is a is a real hellhole. Um, <laughs> I was I was once hit with a full slice of pizza there, a la that Red Sox clip. That exact <laughs> thing happened to me as I just as I stepped out of the tunnel into the seating area. Like I'm like it would have been like it, I wish I knew who threw it because that person had incredible reaction time uh, <laughs> to have identified Georgetown fans and thrown a pizza that quickly. Uh, Maddie has a question for the podcast. Uh, Maddie wants to know. He says. After seeing a skeleton version of Harvey on Wednesday and awaiting DeGrom pitching in front of an Electric City Field Friday, it got me thinking what the difference was between Harvey Day during the peak Harvey years versus DeGrom Day now. Obviously, DeGrom is a far more dominant pitcher than Harvey ever was, but having seen Harvey at his peak in front of packed City Field crowds, there was just something electric about the presence of Harvey when he took the mound that I'm not sure DeGrom can capture. Curious to get your thoughts. Yeah, I remember uh, Anthony DiComo of MLB.com like posing this question earlier in the year. Uh, I think around the time Harvey made his start at City Field, maybe just a, a week or two before that. Uh, and 
Uh, I think the poll results and and my own belief was that, yeah, Harvey DeGrom Day has never really approached what Harvey Day uh, was for the Mets. I think a, lar- a large part of that is the, the circumstances surrounding where the team was, that mm-hmm. uh, DeGrom is the best part about watching the Mets, but he's not the only good part about watching the Mets. Uh, and really, ha- you know, maybe in 2018 that was the case, but it hasn't been the case since uh, that they've had, you know, Alonzo and, and McNeil and uh, other very good players on the team. Uh, in a way that, you know, in 2012, it was like you were used to David Wright at that point in his career. Uh, and he was out for, you know, 2012 is, is when he first started getting hurt. Uh, and Harvey was the first uh, that like he was the new toy. And, and fans right. love novelty. Like if Jacob deGrom were a prospect who came up in 2018 and was a, was every bit as good now, uh, you know, since 2018 as as, as he's been in real life, uh, I think deGrom Day would be a bigger thing. But because you got, you know, you get used to him over time that he you know he was really good in 14 15 16 and 17 uh and he just went from really good to insanely good uh, slow burn leap yeah yeah it's you know if if they had acquired him in a trade in 2018 the same way like the red sox did with pedro martinez uh then yeah like there'd be more of a degrom day feel that you just kind of built toward it more organically uh than in instances with like you know Doc Gooden's days at, at Shea in, in 84 and 85 and, and Harvey and, you know, Felix Day in Seattle when the rest of the team wasn't very good. Uh, you know, it just doesn't have the same feel with DeGrom because of the way he's built toward it. I think also, I don't know, maybe there's something, there's there's a lot to it, I think. Because, uh, like you said, Harvey being the new toy, I think, was a big aspect of it. I think that um, if you were hopeful for the Mets when Harvey came up, you could sort of see the outline of, of how it would be and you knew it was going to be built around... Uh, young pitching. I don't think you knew Jacob DeGrom necessarily was going to be such a big part of that mix, but you knew like, okay, like this is, this is going to be this, this, uh, this good young pitching staff. And here's the, here's your main dude. Um, Harvey also courted attention a lot more for better or worse, right? Like he, you haven't seen Jacob DeGrom doing a lot of like Jimmy Fallon skits and you haven't seen like the, the New York Magazine profile about his preferred brand of chewing tobacco and and how John Varvatos is his favorite store. Like, DeGrom has just been um, quieter in that way. But I don't. I I feel like there is like a and I, this. I don't mean this is a knock on DeGrom at all because he's spectacular to watch pitch. There was like a bit of bravado I want to say to Harvey that isn't the same with DeGrom. DeGrom is kind of a um, act like you've been there before kind of guy. Like it's Barry Sanders going into the, the end zone and tossing the ball to the, the official. Uh, where Harvey, there, I mean, he wasn't strutting on the mound, but his posture kind of gave that vibe anyway, I feel like. I mean, he had a uh, nosebleed one time. He tried to fight John Roush. You know, remember like, it, like there was like, it was like every week there was a new story about like some something Matt Harvey did, something like, and it was good and it was bad and it was all, you know, it was across the, and like it was in the ESPN body issue and now he's in the, you know, it was just, it felt like, like they, they were just coming hard and fast with Matt Harvey's stuff and DeGrom has, has, uh, been a little more reluctant, I guess, or reticent or, or whatever, or just as a more reserved person uh, that he wasn't, like he hasn't been. I, I feel like you could, like it's it's almost like DeGrom is uh, no way in a, in as, as a persona, but like there's, there's a comp to Mike Trout almost where 
Trout was never... Now, now I think Trout is famously good, and uh, I think, like, everybody... If you know the first thing about 2021 baseball, you know that Mike Trout is, is the best player, but Trout's fame lagged so far behind his greatness. Um, and I think the Grom's probably got that going on a little bit, too. Like, I would imagine if he keeps anything like this season up, uh, by the end of this season... Jacob DeGrom is going to be such a big deal nationally, right? Because he is having just like such an otherworldly year that if this is still happening come August, he's going to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated. He's going to be on, right? Like he's going to, there's going to be a lot of discussion of Jacob DeGrom. And so I think maybe he'll get there that way. But I think it's been, you know, there's, there's, and, and this is a point I've made about Trout. It's like, People want, you know, you hear the talking heads say, uh, well, why isn't MLB marketing this star? Why isn't, why is, this is the an indication of how some major fault with baseball that like Mike Trout could walk around Times Square and not that many people would recognize him. Uh, I would contend that they, they uh, more than you think would because he's a huge, but, uh, you know, but, and, and I would always make the point like, well, what does Mike Trout want? Does Mike Trout want to be the most famous baseball player or does Mike Trout want to be the best baseball player? Because it sure seems to me like he he cares about being the best baseball player and he is that. So you really can't knock him for the other stuff. And it sure seems like Jacob DeGrom's first priority is not being the most famous pitcher. Uh, he wants to be the best pitcher and he is. Right, you know, Harvey was the Dark Knight, Syndergaard is Thor, DeGrom on the players weekend jerseys a few years ago just put DeGrom as his nickname and I, I don't want to rule out like the, the idea of DeGrom day becoming a bigger thing uh you know I think Friday it'll be uh, a pretty cool atmosphere uh because they're going to be uh it's the first time they're really opening up City Field to a, a legitimate capacity I think it's going to be like 32 or 33,000 capacity uh I don't expect them to sell that out but uh, they'll probably have more fans than they've had at any game uh, wherever they've played uh, so far this season. Uh, so you have that. Uh, and I think there's been more, you know, we didn't have fans at all in 2020. So there was no chance of there being DeGrom Day. Uh, and in 2018 and 2019, you know, this was a very good pitcher having Cy Young seasons. In 2018, I think you could make a case was historically good, uh, you know, in kind of the like post, you know, since Gooden. Uh, it was up there with some of the best seasons uh, a pitcher has had in the National League, uh, but it's still. But it not wasn't zero point six two ERA good. Right. It, it wasn't like <laughs> you've got to see this guy. Like you know, I feel like Gooden and and Pedro are probably the the two examples where it's just like you've got you know what this guy is doing is incredible. Uh, you have to see it in person. You know, the same way you want to see like a musical act in person as soon as you can uh, to make sure that you can tell people that you saw it. Uh, yeah. So I, I think, you know, DeGrom could be reaching that point where it becomes a bit more of an event as this season goes on. You know, if if his ERA stays below one for much longer, uh, that that would be uh, a pretty incredible story. Uh, yeah, I mean, he I don't know if we've discussed it on the show. He he's good. <laughs> I don't he's think very we have. Good. I, I, maybe maybe we'll save that for next time. Next we'll, we'll do that for for next week. We'll talk about whether Jacob deGrom is good or not. Well, that is a great transition because we will be back next week to recap the Mets' upcoming series uh, again with the San Diego Padres, this time at home, Friday night featuring that same Jacob deGrom. 
Tim, uh, as always, thank you so much for joining. If you are out there and listening and you have questions, please do get at Tim or me at Tim Britton at OG Ted Berg on Twitter. You can email asktedberg at gmail.com. As always, thank you for listening and peace out. Adios. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.